Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On September 17th, 10 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Holyhound Tap Room in downtown York. The theme for our September Story Slam was Family Feud. We heard stories of grudges, divorces, and deaths in the family, and even one about punching a rabbi. In the end, our winner was Ted Elliker, who won with his story about the time he accidentally auditioned for a game show. Family feuds can be uh, triggered by the most insignificant momentary events, but they're, the animosity can last for decades. Case in point. Years ago, I was out in L.A. on a Friday afternoon on business and getting ready for the return red-eye flight back to Harrisburg, and I get a call from the home office. They want me to be in Louisiana Monday morning early. I'm like, oh, God. So I don't really want to fly east and then turn around and fly south. So I called my friends, Ed and Lindsay Franco Ferreira, who lived just north of San Diego, and said, hey, can I hang with you guys for the weekend? They said, yeah, sure, come on down. So I get on and I start crawling my way down the I-5 and I finally get to Ed and Lindsay's house. And Ed and I begin our mission to drink and empty every bottle of vodka in his house that night. Lindsay shows up and says, boy, have I got news for you. Now, Lindsay was a Jeopardy aficionado. And at some time during the past month, they, they announced, the show announced that we're going to have auditions in San Diego. So Lindsay jumps on the phone and hits the redial button 3,000 times and finally gets one of the 50 slots for the audition for Jeopardy. She's really excited, so she has a drink and says, well, I'm going to go upstairs and study. And we, we, Ed and I laughed and said, you idiot, you know, what are you going to study for? It's Jeopardy. She said, oh, no. She said, I said, we said it's worthless. She said, the only thing worthless here are you two guys sitting at the table. <laughs> so she goes upstairs. So Ed and I proceed to drink all the vodka and wee hours of the morning, go to bed. Next thing I know, Saturday morning, Lindsay's shaking me to get me, get away, get away, you gotta get me up to take me to the audition. So, okay, I get up and I put on my, my, my traveling workout clothes, which consists of cut off blue jean shorts, a sleeveless t-shirt and flip flops. I go downstairs and Ed's at the kitchen table, looks about like I do and about as tastefully dressed too. So Lindsay comes down, and Lindsay is a tall, elegant, slim, Brit expat, and she looks like Princess Diana. And she looks at us and just rolls her eyes. <laughs> so the three of us pile into Ed's truck, and we, we start heading off to the audition. We get there, and there's this big, ornate entrance room, and there's 50 people in that room, and they're all, the women are dressed like Lindsay, the men are dressed like Admiral Zumwalt, because they're dressed Navy whites, and apparently the Navy has a big uh, naval base there that have a lot of Jeopardy fans. <laughs> and so they start passing, so <clears throat> they get in there, and so suddenly all these people go into the room, and Ed and I are out in his entrance room with, uh, with, with nothing. And he says, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I th before I could even say I think I want to bloody, this guy comes out and says, hey, are you two guys here for the, uh, for the auditions? And we said, well, not exactly. And he said, well, we have two no-shows. You guys want to come in? <laughs> we said, well, shit fire, hell yes. I mean, 
So, so we go into the room, and they have the, and they sit us at the back table and the back row of tables. It's just like a classroom, and we're all by ourselves. And they have the Jeopardy show set up there, and they have a big screen, and they start passing out tests like the SATs, and you know they go, okay, here we go, pencil, go, and you open it up, and there's you know the usual questions like you know who's buried in Grant's tomb, and you know what's a Greek urn, and all that kind of stuff. So after 20 minutes, pencils down, and they go, well, we're going to uh, we're going to take the collect collect the test, we're going to go uh, score them. Guy comes out, and we're watching the Jeopardy reruns. Guy comes out, and he says, I'm going to announce 12 names alphabetically. If you hear your name, you leave. If you don't hear your name, you stay. Or hear your name, stay. Don't hear your name, leave. So he says, all right, here we go. Coleman, Elliker, Franco Ferreira, that would be Ed. And just then, Lindsay turns around and goes, Jesus Christ, you know, you bastards. And we're like, well, so Lindsay leaves, and, you know, she, she walks out smoking mad. And so now the 12 of us, we get up there, we got to play the game. So I'm standing there doing the game thing, and I'm between Princess Diana and Admiral Zumwalt. And, uh, and they, they go, that, they, we do that, and then the caucus leaves, and they go out and score it again. And they come back, so we're going to see six names, say six names, and same thing. You hear it, stay. Well, they call my name, but they don't call Ed. So Ed's walking out, and he looks by. He looks at me walking by. And he says, "You bastard!" <laughs> so now we have to play the. We they have the interview thing. They ask me, you know, how do you, you know, how come you're wearing what you're wearing? I said, well, you know, it's the best stuff I could do short notice. I have a better sleeveless T-shirt for the real show. <laughs> so, so in October, so that was in August. In October, they. I get a call, and they get me out to L.A. They said, come on out to L.A., my nickel. And uh, got, anyway, I got on the show, and it was about 1988. So fast forward, this July, I call Ed and Lindsay and say, hey, I got a free weekend. I'm coming down to Knoxville to visit you guys. I drive down there. I pull up to their house. They open the door, and both of them say, you bastard. Ted earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up, we have a story from Jason Plotkin, who shared a story about his family's favorite part of the Thanksgiving turkey. Um, tomorrow is my dad's birthday. So um, it is the 44th anniversary of his 39th birthday. He uh, he's, has been 39 since I was a kid. And for you journalists over there, that means he's 83. Um, sweetest huggiest, teddy bearish guy you'll ever meet. You meet him the first time, he'll be like right in your face. He's, hey, how are you doing? He gives you hugs and kisses. And I come from a huggy, kissy family. And so it would surprise a lot of people that for years, my dad had a feud with his brother over a piece of ass. I even wrote a song about it, so bear with me. Ready? They like turkey butts, and I cannot lie. These Plotkin brothers can't deny when Thanksgiving comes around and they hear that thermometer pop sound, they get sprung. So there's my song. So I love Thanksgiving. Love it growing up. My favorite holiday easily. You meet family, lots of food. It's fantastic. And one of the, one of the best things about it growing up was this comical feud between my dad and his uncle, his brother, 
over the turkey tail, over like who gets to eat the turkey butt. And if you've ever seen the turkey tail, it's just a big giant piece of fat. And for some reason, my dad and his brother always seemed to love it. And, you know, and my dad used to say, you know, when, when your Uncle Howie and I die, you and your cousin are going to have to carry on this tradition of, you know, eating turkey asses. And I said, Dad, I love you, but when you die, the turkey asses die with you. <laughs> So when it was always this thing, figure out like who would get to eat the turkey ass the day of Thanksgiving. And I don't know if the UN got involved or how this happened, but, but it came out to, so who was ever hosting, the person who would come visit, they would get the turkey tail. So obviously if my uncle came to my house, when my dad was cooking, he'd get the turkey butt. If my dad went to my uncle's house, my dad would get the turkey butt. So one year I was walking in the kitchen, we were hosting, and my dad's, you know, he's the cook in the house, he's making the turkey. And I look to the right of my dad, and on the plate is like a three-quarter eaten piece of turkey ass. And I'm like, Dad, what did you do? Like, this is, this is like sacrilege. Like, you don't do that. Like, you made a rule. And so I'm like, what would you do? He goes, ah, oh, it'll be fine. Your Uncle Howie, he'll be fine. You know, he won't be mad. So my Uncle Howie comes in, and I don't know how much you guys know about Jewish shame, no, no, see, Catholic, Catholics have guilt. Jews know good Chinese food and shame. And the difference is, is that if you've ever been to a pig farm and that stink stays on you for days, that's Jewish shame because that lingers. So after Thanksgiving, I mean, my uncle is laying it on thick. Every opportunity he can to kind of lay into my dad and be like, Hey, you know, this would have been nice to finish this off with this turkey tail, but, you know, somebody ate the turkey ass, and I'm just like... So the whole thing's uncomfortable. So my dad is obviously feeling it. So the next morning, Black Friday, right? People get up early in the morning. They go get TVs or refrigerators or whatever it was at that time. Well, my dad decides to get up and go to butchers. And he's so guilty that he gets me up at, like, 6 in the morning to go from butcher to butcher to try to find turkey butts because he wants to make turkey butts to send to my uncle. And to his surprise, we go to one butcher and he has like a half a dozen because unlike my family, my father and his brother, no one else eats turkey butts on Thanksgiving. So he, my dad's oh, he's so excited. He's like a kid at Christmas. And so he takes these turkey tails home and he bakes them all. And then what he does is, he wraps them individually in tinfoil. Then he wraps the entire batch in tinfoil. Then he puts it in a box. Then he puts it in another box and puts it in cardboard box. So he has it like super wrapped. And he overnight ships it to my uncle. And it's because he's feeling so much Jewish shame that he knows that he has to get these turkey tails to my uncle. So my dad's excited. Finally, he hears from my uncle. So what had happened was... My uncle opens the door, there's a box on the step, and he has this little poodle, and the poodle comes outside, Buffy, lifts his leg, and pees on the box. <laughs> Here's the thing. My uncle said he still ate the turkey tails. <laughs> he said that, that it was so wrapped so well, preserved so well that the water never got past the first, I'm sorry, let me say that, the piss never got past the second layer of the, of the box. So, 
needless to say, so last year, my uncle passed away. And, you know, you, you start to reminisce as Thanksgiving rolls around, and you think to yourself, you know, these are my favorite times. And a lot of times, these are my favorite times because of you're with family and because, but everyone spreads out and, and over the years, and everyone goes their distance. And, you know, I saw less and less of Howie over the years. And Thanksgiving comes around, and I, I got to admit, every once in a while when Thanksgiving rolls around, I think to myself, eh, maybe I'll eat the turkey ass. So... <laughs> Thank you, guys. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from a first-time storyteller for York Story Slam, Jeff Stoltzfus. Jeff told us the story of the consequences of his childhood feuding with his sister. I grew up in York, but I haven't been back uh, here in years, and it looks like there's some great stuff happening in York here. This is very cool. Um, some, some family feuds go uh, start at very young age. Uh, the, the feud that the epic feud that I had with my sister at age four, when she was only two, uh, led to a, a crazy result, which I'll share in just a little bit. But uh, just a little bit of background. My father was a Mennonite pastor. He pastored in York for 15 years. And he, when he was just getting started is, is when my story takes place. But just to give you a little bit of background, uh, my family was not one that feuded a lot. Uh, my parents were wonderful. Um, it was a very loving family. And I can't even remember my parents actually ever fighting. They just got along great. But my sister and I were a different story. Um, the strongest fights that I remember between her and I revolved around the television and what we would watch. Because my mother uh, would restrict our television viewing to uh, one hour a day. So as you might imagine, when mom and dad were gone, the first thing that Julie and I would do is turn on the television and watch as much as we could, as much as we could possibly watch. And, but we would fight about what we would watch because uh, she probably wanted to watch, uh, who knows, Care Bears or... Rainbow Brighter, I don't know, whatever she watched. And I was more likely to want to watch Hogan's Heroes or Benny Hill or, you know, something a little more down those lines. So we would fight. And I remember getting, I, I still have scars from how she would use her fingernails to just grip into my skin and leave marks. So I remember feuding with her pretty often about this and other things, of course, as we were young. Uh, these days, we, we feud more about things like the existence of God. Uh, it's a little bit of a shift from television, but, it, but, there, but there are feuds to be had in families. And this is, this is a, an important part of my journey away from Christianity and away from, you know, uh, being part of a family where that was a very, very important part. But back to the story that I need to get to. So, so my parents were visiting with a family uh, who lived right on the edge of the Cadoris Creek. And there was a hill uh, that, that my dad's uh, 1964 Pontiac Starchief, a uh, big old car, uh, was parked on. And as my parents were running out of patience with my sister and I, they sent us out to the car so they could pray with the family uh, before they left. And um, we were told to get in the back seat of the car, so we did. Except my sister decided, as a two-year-old, to go climb over the seat and get into the front seat of the car. And so this was a problem. And, and this is where the feud 
happened between her and I because I was the obedient child and she was the disobedient child and I needed her to be obedient. So I went to tattle and as I was getting out of the car, she pulled it out of park and the car started to move. And my parents, uh, what they heard first was the screaming, which was her caught on a tree. Fortunately, she didn't actually go into the creek uh, with the car. But what they didn't hear was me unconscious on the ground, having been run over by said car. And uh, I, I'm telling you the story as it was told to me somewhat, because I was four years old. But I was told that I had uh, that half my face was black and blue, and the other fa the other half had tire marks. I don't know. I don't remember that much. Um, but I do remember waking up in the hospital and being alive, fortunately. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we still, uh, my sister and I have uh, grew together closer as we, as we grew up. But now I feel like there's a little bit of a distance there because of this difference of belief that is very, very hard uh, to navigate. My, my parents always, uh, my mom always especially told me, that there was a special reason why I lived through, th through that experience, that God had a plan for my life and that there, there were angels watching over me at the time. Now I'm not so sure about that, whether that's true or not. And I feel that maybe, uh, if, that maybe God might be uh, tremendously uh, disappointed, in a way, for his efforts on that day uh, with how I turned out. But in any case... Um, I have some very disappointing news to share with my sister this week, and I, it, it, I, I don't know exactly how that's going to go, and there's a potential for that news that I need to share with her to, for us to pull apart, and, and I, I really don't want that because I desire to be close with my sister, but in any case, um, whatever happens, she owes me because she ran over me with a car. Thank you. All the winners from this year's monthly Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York at our Grand Slam in November. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.